welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella, your host, for now at least. And we're going to talk, as always, about everything that happened in surfing this week. We obviously had a huge event at Snapper, which was won by Katie Simmers and Callum Robson, but there were so many other moments in there that are worth talking about. You know, Kelly riding a weird board. There were e-bikes on the beach being used in lieu of a jet ski. There were fins flying everywhere. So Stace and I are going to get all into that on the Stab Cusp, which is going to be on the back half of this show. First up, though, I am going to get on with Brendan Buckley, a.k.a. Big Dig Power Surfer Stab's editor-in-chief to talk about the big stories on StabMag.com this week. And that includes an exclusive interview with John Florence where he talks about pretty much everything from his favorite sensations on a surfboard to his new business venture and everything in between. Uh, We're also going to talk about how a pandemic inflation and this war in russia and ukraine created the perfect storm for rising surfboard prices which you may think you're already seeing and feeling in surf shops but in reality it's actually going to get a lot worse and lastly we get into this really strange but compelling and hilarious story about how bird watching is actually the best surf adjacent hobby um yeah you're gonna have to read this one to get the full gist of it but buck and i are gonna do our best to explain paul evans take so that's pretty much it for what we're going to talk about this week why don't we get straight into it welcome to the drop shirtless mikey c we are blessed today we're very blessed why is that because you don't have a shirt on it's the the summertime is coming on the east coast of the united states and uh i'm feeling blessed yeah, we actually, um, Pennsylvania, they got rid of Punxsutawney Phil. They don't need him anymore. It's just whether or not I'm wearing a shirt, you know what time of year it is. Wow, they should do that. I mean, it'd be confusing because you're never wearing one, but... <laughs> Perpetual summer, the endless summer. But you know what, I, I have a question about seasons. So today the waves were fun here, and on paper it was 6 foot at 14 seconds, but it's springtime in Portugal. And do you feel that the waves just, like, maybe some areas are more sensitive than others, but, like, the same swell on paper just does not feel the same or translate to the same waves in different seasons? Like, it felt just so spring, even though on paper it was, like, 6 at 14. That's not bad. Well, but you're talking, like, um, same sort of winter storm, like, swell direction, yeah? Because, like, in California, obviously, they get south swells in the summer, northwest swells in the winter and i'd say those definitely feel really different but that's because those are totally different systems creating those swells are you saying it's like the same sort of storm as a winter storm yeah same direction interesting same like you look at it on paper and it's not even just like hey it tells you it's fucking blue or purple or orange or nine stars you're looking at the actual what buoys are dinging what it's saying buoys are going to be dinging and direction looks the same Swell height looks the same, period looks the same, and the winter here just has more punch, I swear. Like, I know this is in France, too. It's just, like, everything on paper can look the same, and the winter just is a different beast. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Is the water temperature different than it is in the winter? Is it warmer It's now? a bit warmer, yeah. Are you going to do the heavy water thing? Are you going to do that thing? I mean, there has to be... Okay, so just think about, you know, just the principles of liquid and gas and whatever so as a liquid gets you know denser it becomes heavier it gets closer to its solid form ice right 
And when the particles get further apart, it gets closer to a gas. So I'm not a scientist, but if water's getting warmer, wouldn't a wave of the same height technically be lighter? That is uh, outside my, what do they call it? Outside my pay scale? Yeah, yeah, purview, pay scale, however you want to say it. Yeah, that's probably completely untrue. Anybody that knows anything about physics and science is probably shaking their heads listening to me right now, but that's my theory. Well, we could be, you want to, want to be like TikTokers, but let's say that wave was gas, bro. <laughs> First story, how a pandemic hangover, inflation, and war created the perfect storm for rising surfboard costs. Folks, I mean, what can we say here? This The price of surfboards, what, what a lot of people don't know is that surfboards actually cost like $100 to make. Um, you know, people thought it was much less than that, <laughs> but it's like a whole $100. So when you pay uh, $1,200 at the store, you're getting a great deal. Um that's very untrue. They are much more than that, and there's a lot of hands that have to touch them to get them to your feet. And there's also a lot of materials that need to be produced to get them to the hands that get them to your feet. And there's a lot of shit going wrong in that world right now. And so it's fairly likely that surfboard sticker prices will rise in the not-so-distant future. Wow. So here's my question. Um Wax is a petroleum product, if I understand it correctly. Are we going to see a surge in wax prices as well? Well, first of all, shout out Adam at Bear Wires, because every time I go to New Jersey, he gives me free wax. Other than that, I'm paying. I'm already paying three, four euros a bar over here, which, yeah, yeah. I know, and the exchange rate is pretty good right now. So, I mean, I feel like I left the States. It was like a euro or a dollar a bar. Now to just shell out, like, because I buy them and, you know, I, I don't just buy one at a time. That That's a psycho move. Um, I'll go, like, five, six at a time. And I only have sex wax green and, green and purple. Just that's my seasons fluctuate. No base coat? Oh, my God, base coat. Jesus Christ. No, <laughs> never. <laughs> Jesus. You freaking lunatic. Okay. Yeah. Carry on. But anyway, yeah, I, I maybe it will, but I don't know how it can affect that any worse because I'm already shelling out four euros a bar. If that markup was applied to surfboards, Jesus Christ. But um, anyway, a lot happening in that world right now. I mean, there's we've got the cost of materials going up. We've got the cost of labor going up. We've got the cost of shipping going up. And, um, you know, at some point somebody has to write a little sticker price or have a computer print out a little sticker with a price on it and dangle it from one of those racks which have you ever been to a surf shop where they tell you don't touch the boards have you seen that ever no where is that you see that fairly regularly here where you go in a surf shop and there's like a bunch of boards and like don't touch them and you're like what the fuck do you mean yeah how are you supposed to buy one if you don't you know do the, the stupid under the arm thing that doesn't really mean yeah, anything yeah you go whoop 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 <laughs> Do that like fake look down the 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 barrel to see the the rocker or the concave. No, or my favorite move is you you put the nose on the floor, you flip the upside down, so you're you're looking at it, and you look at the concave, and you can see it, but you don't know what it means or what it's supposed to do, and you're just like, oh yeah, oh, and you kind of feel it, feel it between the fins, but oh yeah. <laughs> Um, fucking concave. Uh, yeah, but anyway, it's, at some point, somebody's got to make that concave, and somebody's got to put some fiberglass over it, and then put some resin to dry that fiberglass, and all that shit is going up right now. 
I don't think we've seen the rise yet, but the one thing I will say is that you know how when like catastrophic events happen, they just kind of get blamed like for years to come and it gets to a point where they're blamed for things that aren't really related. Like like I went to the last time I was in California, I went to like a gas station and it was like our bathrooms are still closed due to COVID. And I'm like, so the one place in here where you're not going to interact with anybody else, like the, it's just literally a room with a toilet that's closed because of the pandemic. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. And like Bush did 9-11. So it all adds up. Exactly. It said that in fine print at the bottom. <laughs> it, was a, it was a circle K. But I do feel like if if this is the one thing that pushes surfboard prices because for a while we've talked about this on here before like surfboards are pretty low you can buy them for cheap compared to or relative to the work that goes into them like it takes so much to get them to you and nobody's making a huge amount of money on that it's the markups low low but i do feel like this this could be the thing that pushes it into that range where you see boards for way more money because you could just blame Vladimir Putin for years to come on this. You could just say, you could say, oh, well, you know, the the, the war and the pandemic. Like, I feel like having a, a thing that just, you could just start, start that narrative where it makes sense and continue it for like five years. And so in 2027, people are still going to be blaming like uh, Putin and COVID on uh, boards costing 2K. Um, I feel like that's what we're going to get into, folks. Yeah, what do you think? Where's that number where, like, surfboards are just too expensive and people are just going to stop buying them? Oh, people are going to stop buying them. I don't know if that's going to happen. Surfing's way too fun. And you could but always... there's a number, there, there's a tipping point, right? Where, like, right now, you know, people are willing to pay whatever, eight, eight fifty, nine hundred. Once you start getting over a thousand, though, I feel like people start getting pretty weird about it. I guess, but at the same time, it's like, what price would you pay for a scapegoat because they're not just objects that you can have a bunch of fun on they're also objects that you can blame for your poor performance and there's never i don't believe in magic boards um i think it's myth i'm gonna look into that but whoa oh yeah that's controversial (laughs) very but it's always like you you need to have that scapegoat anyway and so i guess there's an element of it where like yeah they go up over a thousand they're 1500 then i guess you still do have a scapegoat because you're like well i don't have 1500 to spend on this new board so that's why i have not landed a full rotation sale fish air reverse and that's the only thing it could be anything else that i could think of yeah i guess so well the good thing for you is that unless things have changed um, back when Ryan Miller and Morgan Masson first put out their My First Million stories, you talked openly about the fact that you weren't really invested in much of the stock market, which um, has that changed in the past six months or however long it's been? Um, when we started with, when betonline.ag started with surf odds, I thought the only way for me to get in there, because I had like all European accounts, they didn't really work in Europe. Um I bought some Bitcoin uh, to try to pay for it with that. So I did that, but I still haven't gotten in on the stock thing because it just everything I see is like, it's all bad right now. I'm like, 
I don't know. So I haven't done it yet, but I... Bu- you are so, so fortunate. You're, you're in such a good position. Because now is... Well, I'm not even going to say now is the time, but now is a time to finally get in because everybody else is floundering. What I'm getting at is relative to the rest of the world, you are a very rich man. You can buy so many surfboards right now because you haven't invested anything and everybody else has lost pretty much everything they've made. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to let you guys keep doing that. And then when it's going to do like the up again, I'll, I'll get in. Just tell me when it does the up again. <laughs> yeah. In the meantime, you can just buy all the surfboards. That'll be your investment. And then you can sell them to people. Wow. This is a great business actually. You can buy them for cheap now before the prices go up. And then when the prices go up, you can sell them for just a little bit less than that. You're coming out of this huge. Thanks, Ryan Miller. (laughs) Five surfers' lives flipped upside down after Mikey Wright oil check. And that's quite a headline. It's enticing. I'm not sure if you knew exactly what you'd be getting into when you saw it, but thankfully we have imagery to get it across a little bit more. We have subheads as well. And this is a collaboration between Quicksilver and Stranger Things, which... The Stranger Things. The Stranger Things. The Strangest Things. The show on Netflix that uh, is about spooky people. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's one way to put it. Um, what did you think of this thing? It was definitely unique, different from pretty much anything I've seen in surfing. I thought it was really cool. And... I think I have an interesting perspective on it because it's it was a while in the making, um, you know, years in the making, and I saw it from the Quicksilver side initially. Like, I was at Quicksilver when this started to come to be, and so I got to see what, like, when I was there, basically we heard that Netflix was doing a the season four of Stranger Things was going to be based in California and it was going to be a road trip and I'm not even sure if, if that's out yet. I haven't looked at like the Stranger Things trailers but that's what's going to happen. Uh, and they wanted to try to find a like a, a brand that was really authentic at that time. I think it's like 80s based like the rest of the show but this one's going to be in California so they wanted something that was like a real representation of surf culture in California at that time. And so I know they're fishing around a bit. I know Quicksilver wasn't the only surf brand they talked to, but I remember these conversations where it was like, Oh my God, this is happening. And like, we're going to meet with them and we could get selected. And it was this wild thing where one of the funniest things is that any other project, any other marketing push, you just called it what it was called. This one, for some reason, the person that was in charge of marketing at that time decided to give it a name. It was Project Ruby, from what I remember. And so that just made it kind of funnier to me because it was like, why the fuck? Like, like, what are you afraid of this getting out? Like, people signed NDAs and, like, it, it wasn't, like, same Project Ruby in a little office in <laughs> France wasn't going to be the thing that leaked this information out, but it all of a sudden was treated this level of secrecy that was called Project <laughs> Ruby. Um, and so, yeah, and I, I mean, I work closely with the people that helped bring this project to life, and I think they did a great job. I really enjoyed it, and yeah, one of the one of the most striking things about it to me, too, is the fact that they got Kanoa there. 
Like they got, I mean, they had like there's Andy Neblis in the clip and Mikey Wright and even the snowboarder Miles Talon that they have, but uh, getting Cano in that mix was was the most incredible thing. Rio White is there too, but getting Cano, who's like you know really wants to contend for a world title, to like go in this like set with like this shitty old van was uh, was really impressive to me. Yeah, and I mean the production value of the whole thing is unbelievable. Like the sh- camera quality, the effects, and everything that they do. It's basically like they're kind of not spoofing, but they're they're remaking kind of the concept of Stranger Things and. You know, they go into the upside down, but it's all framed around surfing. They're going on this surf trip to this, you know, wave park or whatever, which you can't really tell that well what it is. But if you're in the know, you know that it's Waco. Um, And, you know, they do some surfing in it, but that's definitely not what the piece is about, so to speak. Like, it's just a really cool visual art piece and definitely something different that you don't see every day. So, yeah, it's cool to see surfing involved in such like a mainstream thing like that. Yeah, I liked it. And, um, it's it was a good job and even like when it was coming to life like i know that the some of the crew at quicksilver and i was there flew out to california because it was based in france at the time to meet with people at netflix and it it was just a really funny process seeing the early stage of it obviously i can i wasn't around for the late stages i wasn't around for the shoot or how it unpacked but i think they did such a great job and it is really a well one just a really big collaboration because Stranger Things is a huge show on Netflix. I think it's one of their best of all time. And two, just seeing uh, seeing that level of production that was put into it, it's definitely not a an average surf clip. So it was, it was really cool. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, again, it's one of those things that you have to see to fully understand. So hearing us talking about it is probably like, what the fuck? But yeah, just go watch it. It's it's everywhere on the internet, mostly on sadbank.com though. Yeah, watch Mikey Wright flip people around for an all check. Uh, go. That's what we're calling it. <laughs> so, go check that out. John John Florence on making films, starting his own brand, board theory, the best feeling in surfing, and more. That's a lot. The end more, which I wrote that title, and there is more there. But I, I already making films, starting his own brand, board theory. And the best feeling in surfing, that's a lot. And so this is an interview that Stab founder Sam McIntosh conducted with John John on the North Shore in during the North Shore season this year, which is, I guess, a bit longer than in years past because now that Pipeline goes the start of the year rather than the end, it's a, it's a longer season. So this is a great read. Holy shit. John is... John's incredible. Like, when you think about that title and think about everything that he's involved in and the fact that he's still, like, surfing at the level that he surfs, like, imagine doing all that and still going out and, like, winning a CT event. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and, I mean, of course it is, but to me, reading some of his insights and what he feels on a wave was the biggest takeaway for me for this piece. Like, Hearing him explain those turns that he does, you know, at places like Margaret's or Haliva or Sunset and like what he's feeling beneath his feet, that was like, holy shit. Like, I kind of knew what he was talking about, but at the same time, I also know that I have no idea what that really feels like. That to me, too. I mean, there's like the interview starts, he's talking about, he's talking about 
uh, that wave he got on the North Shore, I guess it was two seasons ago now, but it was like, would have been, still was, even though he didn't make it, it's almost up there that like twiggy wave at Jaws where it's one of those things where like, how the fuck did this person put themselves in that part of the ocean? Like it, it just, the visual doesn't even make sense. And he came close to making it. And he's talking about in the interview how if he had smaller fins, he could have maybe been able to adjust his board in a way. Like his, to have somebody that can, is like crazy enough to put themselves in that position, but then smart enough to explain how it works and how it could have been different is just so rare. Because, I mean, you have a fair amount of psychopaths that will just go on any wave and will put themselves there. But to, like, really think about it at that granular level, it's incredible. And then to your point, that thing about doing those massive turns was just... It's it's fascinating because he does... You watch his stuff from Pipe and it's almost like... To me, he almost bores me at Pipe. He's too perfect there. Everything he's just like... He's just no matter how deep he is or how no matter how gnarly the wave is, it just he's so good there that it, it there's not that like you know when Kelly used to be accused of like making something look more dramatic? It's almost like he lacks that where it's just like there is no drama. He just like happened to read everything so perfectly. Um so you see him on these crazy waves, but he swears that doing those turns that he does feels if not the same, even better. Uh, and he explains it in a really deep way, and it's just, it's crazy. He's he's quite articulate. Yeah, and then he goes on to explain kind of what he's learned thus far running his own business and, and all these other really just interesting tidbits that you don't typically get from John John. Like, he really opens up in this interview. So, again, recommend that you read it in full, and you'll also get to see some parts of it in an upcoming property that we have dropping in the coming weeks. Um, do we want to reveal what that is? Oh, go ahead. Come on. You're leading them oh, on. Okay. Go right ahead. All right, all right, all right, all right. So, well, we've actually got two different things coming out. Um, one of them is called The Best Surfing I've Ever Seen, which is where we basically go to the most renowned filmmakers and photographers in surfing, and they explain to us the session or the trip that stands out to them most in their mind from you know decades and decades of filming the world's best surfers. Probably shouldn't surprise you that John John comes up a few times in that. And the second property is called How Surfers Get Paid, which this is a Sam McIntosh special. He loves the commercialization side of surfing, and he went around and interviewed pretty much every big-name surfer, uh, brand manager, athlete manager, everybody that has anything to do with money in surfing, and basically just ask them like, Hey, how does this whole system work? How did it work back then? How does it work now? You know, what, what, how does YouTube come into it? How does Instagram come into it? Is photo incentive still a thing? And we ended up getting these incredible stories from surfers like Jordy Smith, who, you know, he talks about the time that he got sued by one of his sponsors on the beach at the U S open. Uh, John, John has some crazy stories as well. And these are two things that are going to be coming out on stab premium in the coming months that we are really, really excited about. They're currently basically in the cutting room. We're just plugging away at them, but, uh, they're going to be in a good place and going live soon. Mike, let me ask you something. How many turns are you supposed to do to get to the beach? Oh, to the beach, it's three. To the shore, it's four. Everybody knows that. Four to the shore. Okay, let's just focus on the beach for now. You miss one. 
you went too, and it was a good two turn combo. You linked up there, very good. Especially you know the you know, wrapping maneuver on the second one, very good. But third turn, third of the beach, we've also got cheat codes coming with John. Uh, cheat codes. Oh if you my miss god! The How could one, I forget? Well, you, sometimes you just got to do a phone climb. At the end. This is no. This is better than a phone climb. Although <laughs> phone climbs can be nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's coming too so plenty of good stuff coming plenty of good stuff there go check it out <laughs> surfing's darkest secret birding like on those little scooter things ooh ooh um yeah that's that's a thing I those things don't they do they still exist do people just throw them into like rivers and shit now isn't that what like happened to those things they're still there yeah there, there's a couple left yeah okay well anyway this isn't about that this is about birding twitching bird watching whatever you want to call it and i am going to be honest with you mikey and every single listener here this is one of the favorite things that we're publishing on Set Premium since I've been involved. This is just, this is brilliant. I mean, on the surface, I think why I love it so much, because on the surface, okay, this is, the premise here is that it's a story by Paul Evans, and the premise is that bird watching is actually the most complimentary hobby for surfing. Like, and if you were to write that, if that on paper, that concept, could be the most fucking dry, painful, hit-your-head-against-the-wall thing that I would literally walk away hating everything. He wrote it in a way that it, it just, it's so fun, and I read it. He submitted it last week, I read it, and I was on a trip last weekend, and I couldn't stop looking at the sky. I was looking at storks. Storks. Wow. I found the storks. <laughs> yeah, they're storks. They're storks. They are. Uh, I even was like, after I saw them, I saw them all nesting. Um, I had to ask somebody to store what they're called because I couldn't even. I'm, I'm a very new birder, but I couldn't. You know, after last week, you know, my my whole pila pilia <laughs> mix up. Didn't want to repeat that one. So Sagonia is the word for stork and I didn't shout penis at the person at the convenience store when I was asking for it thankfully but I mean try carefully here folks because this piece will get you this will make you want to be a bird watcher it got me it got yeah, me good I, uh, I had a sneak peek at this and it is fucking hilarious like genuinely fucking hilarious I mean Paul Evans is always funny but I think this might be his true like masterpiece on Stab. I think it's the piece he'll be most proud of. Um, just because the whole point is to introduce birding to surfers. Like the whole thing just kind of recounts his tales of sharing his love of bird watching with people in the surf industry. <laughs> you know, from pro surfers to people that are kind of more adjacent to the whole pro surfing thing. But um, I'm just going to read one of my favorite little paragraphs, of which there are many, so I don't feel like I'm spoiling too much by saying this because there's 20 others that are just incredible. Incredible, But yeah, here we go. Here's a, here's a little paragraph from uh, Paul's story. Some years later, I traveled to a Red Bull event at Surf Snowdonia, North Wales, with popular Australian surf journo and socialite Chris Binns. 
Needing an ejection of adrenaline, I took Binzi to nearby RSPB Conwy Wetland Reserve and whispered in his ear, There's no such thing as a seagull. He played it cool, but I could tell that it blew his above average size mind. And this is like basically just one little stanza where, you know, he's he's basically just slowly but surely as by being a WSL commentator, Paul is going and like plucking these individuals while he's on these trips and like bringing them and showing them birds in little moments and like converting them. Basically, he's like slowly but surely creating his own bird cult within the whole professional surfing surfing diaspora, which is just brilliant. It's just so good. And the way he like all the birding terms and and things that already exist in surfing there's a paragraph about that, like all the, the names that work their way into like swallowtails, for example, but it's like a, a full paragraph of a list of these things. And it just, it really is. It, it's my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing that we published. And there's a, there's a part in there where he's talking about a bird called a red start and how it has to just fly across the Sahara. But you might just see it while you're surfing in Europe. And that to me is fascinating. Like that to me, that that happens over our heads that might just look like a tiny little bird, but that thing is, is going on like this huge journey and that we're just kind of in a perfect spot to see it. I'm so in and I feel like I'm really excited to see how this piece, the reaction it gets one in our stab premium community and also on social media because i feel like we're gonna see a lot of surfing birders come out and admit to it admit to their their birding secret after all these years and i think we're gonna see a lot of like i think the birding community is gonna be thriving after this really yeah i mean honestly like if you're a you know if a listener and you've been a closeted birder your whole life it's okay we love you and we embrace you and you know this is a safe space yeah, I mean, if you're hearing this and you're like, finally, finally the moment has come, send us a voice note. Um, I don't know what you should say. You need to figure that out. But if you want, send us a voice note about what surfing and birding means to you. Maybe we'll play it. I don't know. All right, it is time for the surf sin, and we have got Andy with a doozy. It's... We encourage brevity here with the surf sin, but Andy's, I don't see what I'd cut out of this story. It's a good story from start to finish. It was all uh, a lot of necessary stuff in there, and it's, it's a complicated one. Let's have a listen. Hey guys, this is Andy from Sunshine Coast, Queensland. Uh, big fan of the show, listen to it every week. Okay, so the surf sin, I've got to confess, actually happened just a day or two ago. Um, me and my buddy were going to surf this little um, uh, section of reef at a, one of our point breaks that kind of only works on certain swells on, on high tide. Um, it's it's kind of a slabby barrel and then a, you, you pull off before the end section goes gurgly and dry. So anyway, this day, it's the spot's about a 400-meter walk from the car park, and you can't see anything from that car park. So I was got there early. I was amping. I'm down the hill checking it. Um, 
And my friend calls me to get the report and it was one of those like classic instances where I was like, just come down the hill and check it. And he didn't want to check it. And he's the one that's more particular about the surf that he wants to go out in. So I'm looking out there. It's like more what we'd surfed it three days before and it was like about three foot and fun and glassy. But this day was like definitely wilder and there was barely anyone catching waves. So it was really hard to tell how big it was. And I said, oh, I was like, it's about the same size, maybe a bit bigger, but it's like a bit more washy and hard to make. So he doesn't want to come down the hill. I go back up. We just go straight out. So we gear up back down the hill. And as we're going down, this massive set comes through and I realize like, oh, this is a lot bigger than I sort of said. And he's kind of goes, he's like, are you kidding? This is like double the size of the other day. It's cyclonic and massive. But because we'd already geared up and we're down the bottom, we kind of have to go out. Like you can't not go out with you standing on the water's edge with your board in your arm. So we paddle out. I I make it out the back and then he's further up the point and gets a little inside one and then disappears like cuz the set was coming and I was like oh he's he's gone um and I'm kind of just paddling out there for my life and then um I go in later check my phone and he's text the group message um, basically saying that I've been blacklisted from surf reporting. I'm an unreliable source. So I call him up and it turns out he was dragged for about 100 metres across the reef and then ended up on the, a dry section of rock with about six or seven foot of whitewash uh, looming down on him. <laughs> Got all cut up. I did feel a little bit bad. Um, but I guess I'm just, yeah, looking for your, your, um, thoughts on it. And if there's some way I can ever get back from the blacklist to the reliable list, yeah, it'd be great to know what you've got to say. I think that this is a service that a lot of people are going to be able to relate to. I think a lot of people probably just listened to this and thought, well, like, oh, well, yeah, I kind of. Well, I did that once by accident too. And in terms of getting blacklisted, I don't think that's a problem. Um, I mean, I've blacklisted myself. There's plenty of days where I pile out and I go, what the, like, what are you doing? Like, why, why did you do this? Like, I didn't watch the waves for long enough or I was just, I watched them with too optimistic a perspective that, I mean, I, I literally should blacklist myself and I am absolutely blacklisted from giving a lot of people forecasts, I think. And so I don't really know if the end goal is not to be like, like I think being blacklisted from providing a surf forecast is kind of a good thing. It's a bit of an honor, really. Well, and, and so like, let's talk about what he did right. You know, so he was down there checking it early he, he, yeah, he made that, he made that walk, you know, his friend wasn't down for it. Um, that's like, I don't want to say that's a sin, but like, that's on you. If you get feedback that, you know, you're just going to take somebody else's word for it rather than taking that, you know, very minimal walk down to the beach and check the waves for yourself. And, you know, if you don't feel like you get a, an accurate portrayal of what the waves are like, I mean, you have to take some blame for that as well. 
And the other thing that I think he did right was, you know, if you're going to sell it in one direction or the other, it's better to undersell it, right? You don't want to be the guy who's saying, oh, it's six foot and pumping. And then your friend gets down there and it's like, oh, it's fucking shithouse, you know, because then you're you're setting the expectations high. And as we know, life is all about expectation versus reality. So if you come into it with low expectations and they're surpassed, it's the best day ever, even if the waves are average. And if you come into it with high expectations and the waves are pretty good, you're somehow still bummed. So I think he actually did a lot of things right here. Um, the unfortunate thing is, you know, that his friend ended up getting dragged across the co- the coals, so to speak. But I also, I mean, w- when you were listening to this story, did you take it as, because this is probably something we've all done, it sounded like they saw a set coming. His friend took that first wave to maybe get out of the way to avoid getting cleaned up, but then ended up copying it on the end. Is that how you took it as well? I didn't think about it that deeply. I kind of, I guess if I, if I really think about it, I likely interpret it as his friend happened to get a medium one, like trying to avoid the sets. Just as like, oh, here's a kind of average one that I'm in the spot for and go on and say I caught a wave and then got lit up by a set as a result. That was kind of my read, I guess. But I didn't I didn't put too much thought into that in the moment. And so are you are you are you going to focus on that with your penance? Is that, uh, you got something there? No, I guess there's too much speculation involved to really like, you know, make any big decision based around it. But it's all, these are all pieces of the puzzle to a certain degree. Like the way that, at least the way that he's framed his friend, you know, he's a bit picky when it comes to conditions. He, if he sees conditions that, you know, are not exactly what he expected, he, he gets upset about it. And then he goes home and he complains to the group chat. So, I mean, I'm sure his friend would maybe have a different interpretation of this whole situation, but yeah, his friend is looking more like the surf friend that I wouldn't really want to have compared to our quote-unquote sinner. You know what? I wasn't sure if we'd read this the same way, but in fact, we're actually on the same page. I mean, I struck you as a person that would, or I kind of figured that you were a person that would be pretty particular with your surf forecast and want the right information and just want everything good. Whereas I'm more of just a stupid cowboy that uh, I will watch the waves for two minutes and be like, yeah, fine. I think we're on the same page here. And, you know, in the history of surf sins, which I think we've been going like a year now at least, we have had some really interesting ones and we've had a few where somebody confesses a sin that they saw. They confess a sin on behalf of their friend and I don't think that Andy set out to do to do this, but I do think he's kind of done it. Like, I'm going to peg this on the friend and if his friend wants super... Alright, listen to me, Andy's friend, because I hope you listen to this <laughs> too. Alright, listen to me, Andy's group thread. If you want super accurate surf forecasts, this friend has to, every time he's at the beach for the next seven times, he needs to post on Instagram the exact size that he thinks he is with two decimal points. He needs to take a video and say the size, two decimal points, don't just say three to four foot. No, that's not going to work. You have to come up with like 4.6 point or 4.63 <laughs> feet 
And that's if you want such a good forecast, that's what you're gonna have to give because otherwise you're just being picky, my friend. Uh, geotag required as well. Geotag required, but he can be creative with that and um, place it in weird uh, Serbian sex clubs <laughs> if you'd like. Okay. Well, interesting. Wow. So the, yeah, you just passed the penance along to uh, somebody that may or may not even listen to this podcast. No, Andy. If uh, Andy said he listens every week, so Andy, your friend. We don't have his name, but that's what he needs to do. Two decimal points. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I think that's beautiful. And yeah, you're right. If you're going to be picky, then be picky and be specific. There's a you know you can't be you can't have it both ways, right? You and you got to practice what you preach. You can. So there you have it, Andy's friend. Okay, so you obviously gave it to him. I'm going to give one to Andy because he, he called it in. He's basically asking for a penance. I feel like if you're asking for a penance, you want to be relieved of some guilt. So I'm going to give Andy, you know, a way to get over that. And it's not going to be too harsh because, like I said, I don't think he did anything necessarily that wrong. But I think as, you know, what would be fair based on the position that he put his friend in and I think you've actually given a similar penance like this to somebody else, but I'm going to add a layer to it, is that the next uh, seven times that he goes surfing, he is going to have to go totally camless and totally one board. One board in the car. I don't know how many boards he has, but yeah, no forecasting and actual no board choice. You just got to keep the same board in the car for seven surfs, and you got to go wherever you would normally go. Um, so, you know, if it's, you know, if the winds are one way, you go to that spot. If the winds are the other way, you go to that spot. But I don't want you looking at cams. You can look at a forecast. You can look and see what, like, the numbers are saying, the buoys are saying. But no cams. I don't know where, I don't know if there even are cams where you live. But, yeah, you can't get eyes on it. You just got to show up to the spot you would normally go to on the given conditions. And you got to paddle out on one surfboard. And that's it. And, you know, if it's six foot and you're struggling, so be it. If it's two foot and you're sinking mm. so be it but mm. that's it Ooh, yeah well that's i mean and if you go and read that story with uh john john you'll know that there's no board that's too small you are clearly the problem so even if it is six foot and your board feels a little chippy or out of control maybe your fins are just too small or too big if you ask john i like that i like that the adding the element of the board i really like i think that's another layer to it that people have to deal with there. As always, you can send your surf sins to Michael at stabmag.com, Buck at stabmag.com, or Danny at stabmag.com. We think he still opens his email. Uh, because we want to know what you did. What did you do wrong in the lineup? Or before you went out into the lineup? Or before you even left your bed? How have you sinned? Um, and then for now, I want to go straight into Snapper. There were so many things that happened this week, and Stace was fortunately there to see and hear most of them. So he's going to have some really good insights on everything that went down. So that's it. Welcome to the Stab Cusp. Here we go. Not too sure how it looked from your end, Mikey, but that was a, a very entertaining week of uh, professional surfing. That it was. Um, God, it's all—it's a bit of a blur for me, honestly, and I'm sure it is for you too, especially being there. But it just—it was so many waves, so many check snaps and carves, and like it's—it's it, it's actually crazy having an event at a wave that's that long, 
because I feel like halfway through most waves, I forgot what had happened in the first part. I don't know how the judges did it, but kudos to them. Um, yeah, snapper. It was, it was a wild ride, and we uh, we got there in the end. And congratulations to you, by the way, for picking the, the dark horse winner on the women's side, Katie Simmers. I I can't say I saw that actually coming to fruition, but it did, and it's pretty incredible. Yeah, thanks for that. Look, it is just so wild. Um when you see someone hyped across the internet, I'm a pretty big negatron when it comes to that. I always think, you know, sure, of course that person's hyping them or, you know, they suit a certain look or a certain style. So they're getting promoted or whatever. And you're like, okay, let's really see how they are. And Katie Simmers blew my fucking mind. Like she didn't do anything unworldly. But the thing that was so impressive to me is that she never looked like she had a rashie on. She never looked like she was surfing a heat. She made a heap of mistakes. She rode some pretty bad waves, did some funny things. But that is just so refreshing to me. In her round of 16 heat, which was on the final day, oh, excuse me, the day before the final day for the women, there was jet ski assist and she didn't get on it once. She paddled back every single time. And it was just stuff like that that made me really enjoy her run to the final and ultimately the win. Um, I thought the double barrel wave she got in round one or two was just grossly underscored. Um, And I think that she's just, you know, I hope she never looks like she's surfing in a heat because you see it happen. People get corrupted by the the amount of events they do. But, uh, you know, for me, she was so impressive. So you're a coach. Um, I don't know if you would or could coach somebody to surf like they're not in a heat, but like, what do you chalk this up to, right? Because she, she's in an event with people like Steph Gilmore, um, Sally Fitzgibbons, all these different CT surfers. And how do you win just surfing like that? Like, is it just kind of dumb luck mixed with obviously natural ability or is she doing something like, do you think it's like somewhat purposeful that she's trying to show the judges like, Hey, like all these people are fucking comping out and that's lame. I'm going to surf how I want to surf. And you guys are going to give me scores because of it. Like, yeah. How does that work in your mind? And that's the way the judges always have done it. That they, they always score instinctual surfing over premeditated stuff. If, if you, if the judges don't know what you're going to do next, that's the best way you can surf. Uh, and, and, and she obviously has that in spades. Can you coach someone like that? No, you, you can't. Uh, they either have that in them or they don't. And I think Andy Iron summed it up perfectly. When you're free surfing, surf like you're in a heat. And when you're in a heat, surf like you're free surfing. And that's exactly... I actually don't know how she prepares or how she warms up. But yeah, I think that's what I... When I look at her, that's what I see. I just see someone who is not doing anything other than just surfing directly of like what's in front of her. Uh, and if the section's not there, she just doesn't turn. And that is such a skill to have. Kelly Slater does that. He doesn't turn unless there's a section, you know? So, and what he does in between to piece the rides together, that's what she has as well. She looks expressive on the wave even when there's nothing going on. And I think, yeah, it's those little things that make her whole um, her whole setup just so entertaining to watch. Yeah, it was It was actually, she did a similar thing when she won the US Open last year. I remember she had a heat, I think it was against Courtney Conlog or like some other really big staple name like that in the semis. And she only needed a three to get through. 
And she basically sat out the back and waited for a set wave. And it finally came. And basically all she had to do was bank off the lip and she would have got the score just based on kind of what the previous scores were in that heat. And she went up and she like blew her tail out like as hard as she could. And it was like, yeah, like anybody that was competing out there, like in their mind, they're like thinking like, oh, I need to, you know, make it through this heat. That is not the turn that you were going to do. And she just didn't seem to care. And obviously it worked for her. She made that, went on to win the event and she did it again today. I mean, in the final, watching her last wave was like, she went and did like a full wraparound, which I'm sure you can speak to it. Snapper is not easy. And then she came out of it with enough speed to come out, you know, and like bang that end section. But it was to me, it was that wrap. The fact that she wrapped her shoulders all all the way around, her head all the way around and went back and hit the whitewater. There was no stopping short or anything like that. Like, no, she was going to commit to that turn all the way, whether she bogged in the whitewater, whether it ran past her, like in her mind, like that was the turn for that section. And it worked out and, and it won. And, and, yeah, I mean, everything you're saying, I, I totally agree with. And I actually, though, I have a bit more backstory on this win that I'm not sure if you're fully aware of. Um, so stop me if you've heard this before, but just keep in mind that the people listening to this podcast probably haven't. Um, Katie went over to Cal- or to Australia, sorry, for the first time um, about three weeks ago. It was the first time she's ever been there. She's obviously from California. And she went over there in order to prepare for this event, one, but also to work on a project that we're doing with her and O'Neill. And the project is kind of loosely related to her meeting up with other O'Neill team riders around the world, kind of experiencing their local zones, their waves, etc. So part of uh, her first little bout at Snapper, she went straight to, to Cooley when she got there. And she met up with Soli Bailey, who obviously, you know, big East Coast Australian surfer, was on the CT before, well-known in those parts. And he was kind of showing her around Coolangatta and around the Superbank. So one of Katie's first experiences out there, I believe it was Anzac Day. And, you know, she went out on a super crowded day at Snapper, three foot, whatever, some tubes. And she gets one wave finally after waiting around for a while. And this guy just straight up burns her. He, uh, I guess he tries to pull into the barrel, but he doesn't make it and she's frustrated and she's like, whatever. And just starts paddling back out. And he's like, go home because he could tell that she was frustrated that, that he'd burned her. And then, you know, she still, she kept battling and he said, I didn't make it. So there's no way you were going to. So that kind of like fueled her fire a little bit. And then she paddles back out and she ends up on this wave and I think solely, I, I forget exactly what the situation was, but she's on this wave and she wants to get off it. And there's a bunch of people in your way, kind of just as it is at Snapper. And she goes to kick out and she accidentally bumps rails with this guy who's paddling back out. And they check their boards, both their boards are fine, but he is not happy. Apparently he's a local, you know, I can imagine holiday weekend, Challenger Series is in town. All these surfers are trying to surf, you know, quote unquote, his wave. And he decided to unleash all of that fury on a 16-year-old girl. And he said some really rude and inappropriate things to her. He, fuck, I don't even like really want to say it out loud because I don't like it coming out of my mouth. But it's already in a story that's on stab.com, stabbank.com right now. So you can go read it if you want. Um, but yeah, he said some really rude things to her and, um, basically she went to the beach pretty beat up about it. Like was just really bummed, kind of rattled. And that was her first real experience at Snapper. And 
she ended up going down the coast for the next week or so and hung out with Russell Bjerke and surfed a lot of fun waves without a ton of people. And that sort of revived her spirits. And then she obviously came back up and won the event, which is a pretty wild roller coaster ride of like a snapper experience. You go from getting, you know, shunned by some really rude fucking locals and then you come back and just win the thing. And I just, what makes me so happy is to think that the guy who said these things to her had to watch that and be like, oh fuck, what did I do? Yeah. If there's anything that brings out all the heroes in this town, it's a three foot green mount swell. So on behalf of everyone else, sorry about that, Katie. And it's cool that she managed to use that to turn it around into what was a pretty exciting week. I do know that she came early and actually was kind enough to drop me off a big bag of sun bum uh, sunscreen, <laughs> which my head desperately needs. Uh, and then she went off down the coast. And uh, look, I think getting some fun waves might be a bit of an understatement. I, uh, I heard from uh, Mikey Malalu a couple of times on that trip who was filming Katie for Stab. And he was just mind blown at her attitude uh, in those positions that Russ no doubt put her in. So that was um, that was uh, you know <laughs> cool to hear. Sounds like she's not lacking in any any part of her surfing. So if you can handle yourself on a trip with Russ, I think uh, yeah she's obviously no doubt got a bright future. But it might be it might be white hot bright. Yeah, I mean it's pretty crazy to think too like. I was first, you know, introduced to Katie when we brought her to the first Ladybirds event at Stab High in Waco. And like, you know, she was 12 or 13 back then. And it was her and Sierra Kerr and Sky Brown and Bella Kenworthy. And they were literally like, these were like little kids like playing around in the pool all day. And now to see her, obviously she qualified for the CT last year, decided not to take it. Now she's number one on the Challenger Series after the first event. And, you know, winning one event doesn't guarantee that you're going to make it again this year, especially on the women's side when there's only five slots, but puts you in a pretty darn good position. And again, I don't even know if Katie wants to qualify again this year, if she'd want to join the CT, but um She's just like, it's like really watching something special unfold in front of your eyes, I think, this Katie Simmers. It's like, it's almost like if Dane knew how good he was early on in life and like really pursued it a bit more, you know? It's like she, you know, she kind of, even though she would never say it herself, like she understands her ability level and she understands that she can do it whenever she wants to, but she's also not big headed about it. And she, it's also not her number one priority in life. Like she obviously decided not to take that spot because she wants to work on film projects. She wants to work on her surfing and I'm sure she wants to be a kid. She's still 16 years old. So yeah, it's just kind of a really cool thing to watch unfold. She understands the nuance of competitive surfing. Watching her burn Sally Fitzgibbons with priority was a, was a good example of that showcasing exceptional variety and talent on the wave face but competitive prowess beyond your years Katie we all love that move at the end there um I don't know that was pretty eggy on my part but I'm, I don't know I don't like that part of competitive surfing but I kind of have to do it so everyone does it I've watched Andy Irons do it out here yeah I don't know <laughs> Looking forward to the uh, the final now. How are you feeling? Um, I'm definitely really tired from just battling the current, but I don't know. The ski's kind of nice. It makes it less less paddling, but still a lot of paddling. So hopefully I can do one more. <laughs> 
Do you feel like you're performing the way you want to when you came here a week ago and started training? Um, yeah, I mean, it's not as perfect as, like, I definitely have had some really, like, rough heats where I would barely make it, but I mean, I guess you can't peak too early, so hopefully I peak in the final. Took the words right out of my mouth. Best of luck for the final, Katie. Yeah, so, I mean, what, uh, we've talked a lot about Katie. I think we've given her, you know, she may, maybe she deserves more, but there's a lot of other people to talk about in this event. So, um, on that point, sorry, of Sally, just to go a little bit off topic. So, we did actually just find out that the WSL announced that she will be getting the 2023 wildcard for the women. Um, so, Sally, even though she fell off tour this year, technically she will be back on the 2023 tour. And... Um, yeah, obviously we have Gabby on the men's side and Yago Dora got it on the men's side as well. So yeah, we're pretty pretty locked up for 2023. Yeah, look, I I can't really understand where that call came from. Um, I think everyone had their opportunities this year, and uh, if there's a spot to give, I, I probably had Sally at fourth or fifth on, on my list. Um, no disrespect to her or her career, but. Uh, I look at a Betty Lucicura Johnson, I look at a Molly Picklam, I even look at a Moana Jones in this situation and have them highly rated in a, in a conversation like this. And then, of course, Malia Manuel's the next surfer out, and uh, we obviously saw her class on display here at Snapper this week, so I just am pretty blindsided by that Sally call. However, there's a full wildcard panel that makes these decisions, and they obviously came to, came to their decisions. Uh, the wildcard process was something you had to apply for, and I do know that Molly Picklam and Malia did not apply for it. So take it as you will. And Caroline is getting the other one for the women. She's also going to surf on the last five events of this season. So we're going to get to see her back in the jersey again, which is great. Um, but yeah, to your point about Sally, like obviously it seems like it's a bit of a legacy pick for the WSL. She's had 14 years on tour. Does that you know, mean that you should get another one just because you fell off? I, we could debate that till the sun goes down or never comes up again. But um, yeah, like you said, there were plenty of people they could have chosen from. And I guess they, they ultimately, you know, it was similar to picking Owen Wright last season. You know, Owen obviously was not the first surfer off the cut, but they deemed that what he'd done in the past made him the most eligible person for it. So it is what it is, you know, a person, especially with how Malia surfed in this last event um, and how Betty Lou is surfing, I can't see them not getting back on tour, if not this year, then the one after or the one after. And um, yeah, at the end of the day, we, we don't have much say over what the WSL says or does. To Sally's point and to her, I guess, credit and, and almost to her, makes me sad to say this, she has a higher heat average than Stephanie Gilmore. But no world titles. We're going to have to double-check this one, but I'm going to hang my hat up on it. I'm pretty sure I've seen that. Yeah, no, it's true. She has, I think, almost like a full point higher average heat total across her career than Steph. And Steph's is, like, oddly low. to Like, it's like 10.67 or something like that, which seems really odd for some <laughs> surfer of her caliber. But yeah, the the women's heat averages are just significantly lower than the men's for whatever reason. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. So I guess that would definitely play into it. Uh, obviously, Sally has had five runner-up to the world title finishes. So if they want to give her one last crack, I guess that's fair enough. 
All right, so um, let's talk about the men. There, obviously, we had Callum Robson come off his CT high horse and just pound a bunch of CS grinders with his thick thighs. Um, it, it is pretty cool to see like how much confidence he must have gained from going on the tour and beating truly the best guys in the world. And then he comes home, and it probably just feels like you know not a cakewalk, but that it is totally within his power to go out there and just win heats all day long. And then Sheldon Simkiss, I mean, that is as good of a coming out party as you could really ask for. Obviously, he's been one of the best surfers at Snapper for the last few years. You can speak to that further. But to see him come out and actually perform this well in an event of this caliber at his home break, like, he's got to be on cloud nine. For sure. And as much as the fairy tale is there... A massive result. He finished second. He surfed every heat you could in the comp. He took the crowd along for the ride. The serious point of the matter is this, the US Open and Halle Eva will be the hardest events that you can get points in. So for Sheldon to finish second behind a CT surfer, that is such a massive result. Because at the start of the QS year, like I said, you can pretty much get those three events and go, all right, buckle up, obviously back yourself for a big result, but you know how loaded these events are. You're more likely to catch fire through that middle part of the year where the, the, you know, basically Geordie Smith is the only one who does Bolito or maybe like a Fred Rico when he's on tour would, would do um, the Portugal uh, CS and, and a few other events like that. For Sheldon to get second here... That's as good as a win as far as the points are concerned. So he's just set himself up for a massive year. Yeah, and I mean, speak to that a little bit. Like, obviously, you guys have had an incredible run of waves. And when I say that, I don't mean like a week or a month. I mean like half a year, basically. It seems like the Superbank has been fun for the most part. Um, how much does local knowledge come into doing well in an event like this? You know, where obviously Katie Simmers just won. Um, but then again, two local-ish surfers did really well in the men. So yeah, just like, what what was Sheldon doing differently than other people? Obviously sitting behind the rock a little bit more than other people. But yeah, like how, how much does the local knowledge come into it? Look, I think on the last day, it wasn't so much local knowledge. It, it was more Sheldon's awareness to be riding waves nonstop to build rhythm was, was quite evident. He, he never really sat for too long. Uh, and then whenever he did, it was almost like that's when he lost his rhythm. It's so hard to pick a good wave out there, even as a local, particularly on that swell direction. So, look, I'd say Sheldon got to the final day by executing a fair bit of local knowledge, but on that last day, the best thing that Sheldon did was just ride the jet ski a lot. Always on a lap, always, always behind the rock. Try to get one behind the rock. It doesn't work out. You try and get one down the line. And just try and get two bites of the cherry every time you jump off the ski. Don't sit and paddle for 15 minutes because the wave's not going to come. If it's going to come, it'll come. If, you, you can't really sit there and wait for it on a day like that. Yeah, fair enough. Now, that actually brings me to one of the more entertaining moments of the event, which I actually didn't see because it was, it was in the trials. But Mitch Parkinson and Sierra Kerr, when jet skis were not available, rode e-bikes from the end of the point back to the top. It was later outlawed by the WSL. But um, to me, that's such a big miss. Like, if you're the WSL, like, think about it. One, an e-bike is a way less impactful way on the ocean 
to in one in our environmental sense and two in a wake sense of impacting you know the lineup and if you were to just get them on e-bikes going up the point that way yeah you're not affecting anybody in that way obviously there's less of an environmental thing you're not just spewing fuel into the ocean and two is that not the best partnership opportunity of all time like imagine if they just had whatever e-bike company it was like i don't know there's like murph and whatever other ones like you could for sure get money out of an e-bike thing and you just got four lined up at the end of the beach and then somebody to drive them there and back every single time. It's brilliant. It is a big miss. I mean, maybe next year we will see it. Uh, it's definitely pretty funny. Trust Mitch Parkinson to really uh, push the needle when it comes to the, the rule book. He's a pretty cheeky lad. He's always got something up his sleeve. And, uh, yeah, it was pretty funny the fact that the WSL kind of had to admit that it had happened and, and then put the foot down. So... Yeah, a very uh, a very unique way to uh, to get through a heat. Yeah, and the other unique equipment that we saw in this event obviously came from one Robert Kelly Slater, who he was riding a, an old Weber board with an interesting fin setup. It was a quad. It looked fucking 13 years old at least. We actually did a little bit of a story on it on the site, kind of explaining it a bit more. But do you think that was him just having fun and looking at it as, you know, an excuse to surf sap, snapper and try something new? Or do you think there was any sort of strategy involved in that? I mean, when he was riding that board, it definitely seemed to be the right board for the conditions. The, 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 the contour of the wave at snapper is really steep when it hits that inside section. It's quite hard to do turns uh, or, you know, meaningful turns. You've got to pick your section quite well. It's it's perfect, but it's it's not perfect the whole way through the, through the lineup. So... A lot of questions about your equipment and uh, a unique fin set up there. Did you want to go into a bit more detail? Uh, sure, yeah. This is actually, it's only five, six and a half, I think. It's an old board from like maybe eight years ago when I first started on Firewire. And there's a couple of designs I worked with that I like, but we just didn't run with them. And I was looking for something that's kind of small and, and uh, a lot of curve in it. This thing's a little bit wider and, and a few inches shorter. And that's what kind of fits in the pocket out here at Snapper. I, I opted to go for this fin that Greg Weber and I have been messing around with for a couple of years. You might use, you mentioned I was surfing on a D-bar. I just use my quads, but using this fin, it's kind of, kind of like a tuna fin. It just flexes a lot, and it loads up on bottom turns, and you can hold a lot. Of, you can kind of sustain your turns longer. So if you need to drive around a, a, a whitewash, it's really good. You can really hold that speed in the fin. Yeah, I, I don't really think there's much to it other than Kelly obviously has a large quiver of boards and, and he thought it was, it was the right one he he rode that same fin setup in um, some clips that Dan Scott filmed at Off The Wall D-Bar a couple of years ago and it looked incredible it, it, that was the start of Kelly coming back and I guess he's just continuing it on here yeah and I mean having him in this event is a treat in and of itself of course but to then to see him just kind of have some fun with it and ride something different like when he paddled out in his first heat and he caught that first wave and I mean he just he got barreled and then he ripped the shit out of it and it was just like I he's just so the fucking best like I know like he's literally the best but he just brings so much fun and intrigue to like every part of the sport and then you know he gets on the mic and he actually has interesting things to say like I've said it before but we're just so fortunate to be here at this time and the fact that he's he's still like he doesn't have to still be doing this certainly not but the fact that he is and we're here to witness it you know week after week in a challenger series event of all things like it's just i don't know again i'm just kind of relishing in the the fact that kelly is here and now i got a friend of mine a ticket into the event that day uh and 
he's got a profession that requires him to be on call 24-7 and he made some space in his day to, to come down and I was feeling a little worried like is Kelly even going to turn up like he might not even <laughs> want to surf his heat and then I'm kind of going to have egg on my face because I've got this bloke who loves surfing he's a, he's a keen surfer himself but you know we're not all surf bums that can just go down and watch a comp you know like he he has a fair bit on his plate and then after that first ride I was like holy moly I, I went and found him and he had his Android out, zooming in, filming the wave, and I was like, that's so sick. Like, he got the price <laughs> of admission. Yeah. <laughs> he got the price of admission there. In yeah. Oh, so this guy for sure seat. sells drugs. That, oh, that's his 24-hour job. He, he actually does sell off-market drugs. Uh, he, he actually is a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know this because I've had to sign off on it. Uh, and, um, yeah, look, it's, um, it's one of those things that... Um, he just does. He brings he brings uh, a lot of joy to to a lot of people, and then yeah, it's good to see him so enthusiastic. Yeah. So um, we'll obviously be seeing him coming up in G Land, which I can't really imagine an event that he would be more excited for, or people would be more excited to watch him at. And then um, I also wanted to give a little shout out to probably the most dark horse performance of this event, being Nolan Raposa, who. A lot of people may not know who he is whatsoever, but he's, yeah, he's basically, he's a kid from California. I think he grew up just a little bit north of Huntington Beach, and he ended up, he, he did really well last year in the U.S. Open. I think he made the semis over there as well. He beat Kolohe and Dino and kind of shocked some people there. And then, I mean, coming to Snapper, like, one, he's a goofy foot. Two, if, even if, you know, you ask him, he, he says he's a beach break surfer. Like, he likes going left. He likes doing airs. And he comes out to snapper and just makes it through heats and makes it through heats and just plugs away. And he, you know, he beats Leo Fioravanti in a really action-packed quarterfinal. And in a way, too, where, like, it really felt like he was just surfing out of, like, pure emotion. Like, he was hitting every section as hard as he could. It wasn't like, how do I make this wave? It was like, how do I just push as hard as I can on this section and put every ounce of energy and passion that I have into it? And and that's the kind of surfing that I think everybody loves to watch. Yeah, definitely. And uh, he and his coach, Matt Myers, actually had a call in the semi to jump on the jet ski first uh, in Rainbow Bay and just start the heat with second priority, but just so Nolan could start his heat behind the rock. And it was decisions like that that really kind of got me fired up on his whole program. I was I was stoked to see someone do that. Julian Wilson did that when he won at Kira uh, the last time the event ran here as a CT. And it surprised me that more people didn't do that, particularly the women paddling out through the keyhole. You just get annihilated and you end up down there anyway and you don't want to start your heat with a three just to get to the jet ski. So not only was he ripping, but tactically very sharp as well. And um, yeah, it was a, it was a sick run. He, he definitely had the Aussie crowd on his side as well, even though he was eliminating or being eliminated by Australians. It, it was just his surfing was getting people so hyped. And uh, he's, a, he's a pretty excitable young man. I actually did an interview with him that uh, yeah didn't quite get to see the light of day. But I think we can chuck it on here. Oza. Uh, a little bit. Trying to get a 
so yeah, as you can see, he was just trying to surf like Matty Wilco and trying to party like Matty Wilco as well, which uh, I think yeah, a lot of us can uh, get right behind. But unfortunately, yeah, we had to cut that from the live broadcast. Not the first time that's happened. Uh, but uh, yeah, he'll be pretty fired up, like you said, going down to Manly. That that's going to suit him really well. And similar to Sheldon, in in what I'm saying with when you get your points and and, and what events you do them in. If you can do them in the big ones, it, it makes you know it just makes your chance of qualifying so much better. Yeah, and now he's coming into an event like Manly just next week, where you know maybe that suits him even better conditions wise. I mean, as we know and as we talked about before, these events are so fucking hard. Like it, it wouldn't be a shock if Callum or Sheldon or Nolan went out and lost first round in the next event, not due to anything wrong with them, but just the fact that any two surfers can go out and drop 14 points in one of these heats and then you know you're searching for two sevens and it's not always that easy so yeah challenger series uh, you know and we even saw interesting names like i mean like an ian gentile right who was obviously a really big star as a kid but kind of disappeared for a while obviously still surfs really well but even seeing him come out there and put on a really good show like it's just really cool the people that can come and perform at these events because the talent pool is so deep right now. Yeah, definitely. I think Ian's uh, surfing fit this wave so well, as did a lot of the Hawaiians. I feel like in the free surfs, the Hawaiians are on all the best waves and in the comp, they had a couple of outstanding performances. And then just getting back to the women's quickly, Betty Lucicura Johnson, she manhandled this place. She wasn't really working with a coach here from what I could tell. And she was paddling out at Froggies, which is the little beach break in between D-Bar and Snapper, which is not an easy thing to do. You have to get it right, because if you don't get it right, you'll basically get cheese grated across the whole Snapper rocks uh, if you don't make it out in time. But I saw her paddle out there multiple times, as well as jumping off the rocks mid-heat, which I didn't see... Maybe Sierra Kerr do once, but Betty Lou did it on the gnarliest day, and she just twinkle toed across the rocks, bang, bang, gone. I was like, that is so cool, just like how confident she is in this unruly ocean. So, yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was cool, cool to see that. Yeah, it's cool to see her get that back, because I really do. It did seem like the CT took a bit of a toll on her and her confidence. Like, she just didn't seem like the same surfer that paddled out to Haleiwa in that last Challenger Series event of last year, or to your point, the same surfer that paddled out this week at Snapper. Um, I, I'm sure that that's something that she'll overcome, but she clearly feels more comfortable in in this space, at least for now. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, you know, she made mention of that uh, when she did a run around with her good friend uh, Luana Silva in, in one of her heats, you know, just there for a bit of extra moral support. What was the, what was the rev up from there to Luana on the run around? Um, yeah, just a little more confidence. I think that's all what we need here after falling off tour. But um, yeah, just more confidence and pushing each other is going to be the best out here. How much confidence do you get after uh, smashing four big turns off in that Instagram clip you put up? Oh, <laughs> well, I was very thankful to get that wave out here with the crowd. And um, yeah, just so good to rip out here and get some fun ones. And it's just super enjoyable. You look like you've got your wetsuit on under your jumper there. You're out there after this? Yes, I'm definitely out there. More practice and it's fun. So we'll be stoked. Get out of the way, folks. Betty Lou's coming through. All right. Well, as you said, this was an awesome event. Obviously, they got pretty darn good waves for it um anytime you're getting whatever five straight days at snapper it's pretty good yeah so 
Um, it was a great event. But before we go, I heard that, you know, on, in line with that Nolan interview, I think you had a couple other sort of secret interviews that went down while you were there. So I think we're going to cut over to, what do you want to call this? Coach's Corner, Stasis Stairwell. Um, you tell me. Stasis Stairwell actually sounds a bit better. I was calling it Stasis Staircase or On the Stairs with Stace, depending on what I said at the time. Um, <laughs> but there's that quite disturbing uh, documentary on Netflix called The Staircase. So I think I'm going to steer clear of that. Uh, however, for um, this pilot episode, that, that's I think that's what we're running with, Stasis Staircase. Okay, cool. On to Stasis Stairwell. Here with Stace on the Stairs and my very first guest of a new content piece for our show, which I have no idea where this is going to go. Dog, you've got one very good horse left in the race. He likes winning the first Challenger event of the year. How's he looking? Oh, I've got two. My bad. <laughs> Redo. No, I've got two, but yeah, I reckon he's looking real good. He's feeling it. You know, when Leo gets that little wriggle on, he just means he's sort of exuding comp- confidence. What do you make of the conditions this morning? Pretty wild and woolly out there. Paint a picture. We're, got, we're a podcast, so we have no visual uh, visual uh, aid here. Um, to be honest, I haven't spent enough time down here this morning. I've sort of just rolled out of bed. All my horses are coming late. They've all told me we won't be on time, so if you are, it's a bonus. So <laughs> I haven't had a good look, but it looks pretty fun. Still, it's contestable, and I think everyone's just happy to be here. Yeah, I'd be lying if I said I didn't slap the phone a few times this morning. Uh, day five, it's been pretty, five pretty massive days. We're not throwing bricks around, but it's, it's been long days. Oh, seriously, this whole couple of months, this leg's been really long, actually. It's been so, well, more down than up, to be quite honest, but it's fucking been emotional, man. I'll be happy to be the other side of it, to be frank. I'll get me back to France. So you got one more day. This is it. You're just yeah. rallying the troops right at this point? A hundred percent. It's like I've just got out like a sheep freaking zapper and I'm just pushing them freaking to their death. So it feels like that. Like I'm just like kind of willing them forward. But no, they seem pretty good. I think once you start getting some good waves and some good scores, it sort of comes back. And that's what they were lucky on the CT too. I think if they could have had a bit of a role on one of the events, probably wouldn't have been in that position anyway. Best of luck today, mate. Appreciate your time. Thank you. I think. I need a coffee. I need a coffee. Stace on the stairs, Sheldon. Final day of the comp. What are we looking at, mate? Well, there's a lot going on out there. There's a lot of water moving, a lot of wind. There's a lot of swell. We're on. I'd say the last sort of four days, three and a half days have been a dream. Mm-hmm. And, and, and what we're looking at today, this is snapper. Yeah, this is, we got a battle on our hands today. There's going to be a lot of jet ski fuel used. There's going to be a lot of arm power used. But it's going to be fun. It's going to be good, uh, good viewing. Do you want me to go and get the V8 Yamaha out? Please. You, Mitch, on the back, get that, um, get that exhaust pumping. To Connor O'Leary. Connor, finals day, mate. You must be frothing. <laughs> yeah, frothing. Um, waves aren't as uh, hectic as what I thought and should be a good day. And you're here pressure free, mate. You're just looking to take some points and some cash off these battlers. Fucking earth. They do it to me, so, and they've done it to me uh, previously, so it feels good to be on the other end of it. <laughs> Obviously, it's not much of a prep for G-Land. You're going right upside down on the back end, but you must be pretty excited for the, uh, the Quicksilver Pro G-Land just around the corner. Yeah, I mean, I've been going right for the past six months, so to be able to, to go left and only worry about going left is, uh, is going to be super exciting. And, yeah, can't wait to uh, do a frontside carve and do a frontside bottom turn and 
just go get bailed all on my front side. <laughs> did a couple of good ones in Fiji last time you were there. Yeah, that was about two years ago. I think it's the last time I actually went left. <laughs> <laughs> good luck today, mate. We'll see you in G-Land. Buzzer beater yesterday, Ramsey. You must be feeling very good about that one, my friend. Yeah, man, it's been a while. A buzzer beater like that, 10 seconds. It was tight too. I was watching my, I was looking, I kept looking at my watch. I was like, oh my God, there's two waves. The first one looked pretty hard, but I was like, oh, 30 seconds. And then I saw the wave and I stopped looking at my watch around 15 seconds. And I was like, okay, now you need a four. You just gotta be safe and just do it. And I did, so I'm pretty stoked. Just blacked out. Blacked out, confidence boost, just felt, <laughs> I screamed when I came out. Yeah, it was fun. Your equipment's been looking really good, but obviously today's a lot bigger, a lot more wind. What are you going to do with your boards? I just went for a surf with my normal PU board, and uh, which which is pretty good too. I just felt confident with my epoxy, but right now it's yeah, like you said, it's way different. And uh, but there's still a couple clean faces down there, so I hope they're going to judge all the way down because it actually grows down there and uh, it's pretty fun. So okay, it's going to be a tough day, and let's do it. There's a couple of cameras down there, I think you'll be fine. When we used to come to this event for the World Tour event, whoever won had like an 80% chance of winning the world title. I'm gonna say whoever wins this thing qualifies. Is that how you feel? Mm, I don't know, there's a long, long challenger series, um, you know, like there's eight events, so, but for sure if you win, you're, you're in a really good position because you win with the, on, on the first one, so you have seven comps to, you know, to, to do good still, but like it's a huge confidence booster if you win here. and. Uh, Man, I just feel good. It's going to be a tough day, you know, because there's not many perfect waves. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. Best of luck, brother. Thanks. Yeah, Get him, boy. Yeah. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Starthius. Mate, barely seen you this week. You've been locked in that booth for five days straight. It's been a nightmare. Yeah, mate, look, uh, I've been in there just recovering from my WA jet lag. Uh, and it's been the ultimate place to sit because, like, believe it or not, I'm half asleep when I'm in there. And also recovering from the wine and excess oh, meat and cheese. Ring me out, mate. Ring me out. Just grab my feet. Someone grab my head. Start twisting and just ring all the grape juice right out of me. I'm full. <laughs> it's been a pretty sick week, though, brother. Who who, who you like so far? Uh, oh, look. I like watching the, the Groms. Uh, Oscar Berry's been pretty fun to watch. Um, you know, to, to come into a, a field stacked with big dogs, stacked with huge names, where no one expects you to do well and, and to still be alive on finals day, that's pretty awesome. Uh, then on the women's side, um, I'm digging Gabriella Bryan. She's just, a, just super confident. Just super confident and just lays into it. I like it. Shenanigans today with the brother and Smith coming down. What can we expect out of that? Uh, the swelling army. I don't know what time they'll uh, rock up. Generally not early risers, so expecting them here for maybe the presentation. Have a good day, dog. All right, mate. Love your work. <laughs> down here with Stace on the stairs, and we have Australia's newest recruit, Oscar Berry. Oscar, <laughs> tell the world something that they don't know about you. Let's go. <laughs> Um, what they don't know about me. I don't know. I don't actually know. Um, Your media manager's giving me some heat over here. You must have a lot of new mates with this big result in the works. A um, couple sergeants saying well done, but it's about, it's about all I can report on. <laughs> you having a good week? Nah, it's been mental. 
So good. What, how did you Loving start the week? Uh, start of the week, uh, winning the Pro Julie, first win ever. So that was pretty mental. And um, yeah, just kept, kept the rhythm going. And now I'm in the round 16 in the challenger. Well, You'll always be a Snapper Rocks champion. <laughs> not yet, not yet. Hey, winning the Pro Dewey is as good as winning this goal, I tell you, dude. The Dewey series is nothing. <laughs> yeah, the Dewey's are stacked. It's fucking psycho. Vaughny and all the boys. And, nah, oh, it's been a sick week. Probably one, one of the better weeks of my life, I reckon. So pretty frothing. The Bombers can get up this weekend. You'll be extra stoked. Oh, mate, we got up last weekend. How good was that? Beat the Hawks. Amazing last quarter. I think we kicked about 50 points in the last quarter, so that I just kicked the week off lovely. <laughs> Commentate this Vasco wave. Good. Big, big snap out the back. Another little, another little us. And he's just going to set this up and hope it runs on the inside. Not sure. We'll come back to this wave in half an hour when it doubles up. Yeah. <laughs> Shell out the back and Oscar walk us through it. Shelly, this one looks good. This one looks like a nugget. It's going to go on the, like real far on the inside here. Yeah, yeah. Vasco finishes oh my his. God, Sheldon. Sheldon's got a mental one. Go again, bruh. Oh, one more. Come on. Shelly's going Good through. luck today, Osbury. Thanks, Dace. On the stairs with Stace Galbraith, and right here I have with me a stone-cold killer, Dylan Moffat. Dylan... How's the heart rate, son? Oh, it's about to come out my mouth right now. I was, like, walking up the beach, and I was, like, had no idea what was going on, whether he got a score after me or not. And I was just like, all right, just breathe, relax. Whether you get it or not, it's all good. And then I read it out. I was, like, trying not to scream down the beach and make a fool of myself. But that was, yeah, it was good to surf a heat with my mate Morg, so it was fun. It's kind of not all good, but because the difference between a ninth and a fifth and here on in is just absolutely massive if you want to qualify for the tour. Hell, yeah. I think about that. When the cops finished, <laughs> surf the heats in front of me and then think about the fun stuff after. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, you qualify with fifths and beyond. That sounds pretty good. <laughs> Can like, you do it? Let's fucking do it. Love you, Jill. Good luck, mate. <laughs> Cheers, Stacey, legend. It's all happening here. You only need two good ones Adam Sparrow Fletcher. Yeah, Board man. manufacturer of Callum Robson. How's the heart rate, mate? Oh, mate it's I've got a red wine here. Calm down. That was, that was yeah, clutch. That's what he does, but fuck. I, I thought, thought it was over there, and fuck. <laughs> You've been grinding away for decades, mate. You must be frothing to have someone on the tour full-time. Mate, it's epic. It's just, um, he, he come to me about a year ago and said, I want to get on tour, and, um, mate, I put the effort in with him, and, and we, we got him there pretty quickly. Um, he's... he's, he's He's kind of gone past expectations of how quickly we got there, so we're just we're kind of behind the eight ball a little bit with the events, but um, we're, he's tapping into knowledge of coaches and whoever, Taj, you know, Dennis Bills, Kale Bills, Warren, so, mate, we're just, um, we're doing what we can, and it seems to be working at the moment, so. Must get, uh, or must have had some excellent feedback from that Hawaii season. He sent it on a couple at Pipeline, so you must be feeling pretty good going into uh, Tahiti with the feedback coming out of that event. Yeah, we did. We got him some Takoros, and he ended up ju jumping on the Sparrows, just just a little safety net for him, you know. I haven't, you know, had that much experience with pipe, but uh, end up riding all the sparrows over there at pipe, and mate, he had a big dig. That's such a great hallmark of a good shaper over the years to not get too, um, you know, 
protective of their team riders, let them explore a little bit, let them learn a little bit? Yeah, I think Wade's a man of pipe. I think that's proven by Gabby and Mick and stuff like that. And I kind of know Wade, you know, he's a super nice guy. So, um, mate, it wasn't that big. It was like, just cover those stickers and <laughs> pretend they're sparrows. But, no, he, he was on mine that whole event. And it, it felt pretty good to, to, to get, you know, for him to go that hard at pipe on, on my board. So It's good to see you, mate. Best luck for the rest of the year. Cheers, mate. Thanks. How does it feel finally making it all the way to the top? The top of what? The greatest hobby in the world. What's that? The greatest hobby in the world? Surf coaching. Oh, surf, surf, it, surf coaching? It's a hobby. Fuck, I don't know, eh? Um, I don't actually feel like I've, I'm at the top yet. I reckon I still have... Like, there's always room to grow, and I don't want to say that I've topped out and that I've reached the peak because then there's nothing left to strive for, and I'm not going to grow as a coach. So at the moment, I'm just, like, taking everything on board and learning from all the other coaches here that are obviously beneath me, but, like, just learning from their mistakes. Um, so it's just a, it's been good to grow. Um, and, yeah, I'm just I'm definitely not at my peak, but uh, I'm, I'm definitely aiming to get there. Fuck, that was a good way. What, what would you say Leonardo Fioravanti could do better? Um, I think, I, for one, um, marketability-wise, I'd say have less syllables in his name. There's, there's too many. It's hard to pronounce. Uh, I'm, no disrespect to him or his family, but um, I just think marketability-wise. But surfing, I mean, there's not a lot to work on. Like, a lot of these guys, they are in this position because they, um, they've dedicated their entire lives to surfing and nothing else at all um, and I mean for Leo I would say probably just like his big wave surfing I think and uh, as a fellow goofy footer Nolan Raposa it's, it's pretty much perfect isn't it for, for goof, goofy footers well for myself being a goofy footer coming from a left hand break um, I've, I struggle trying to understand how these, these waves work the way that they do um, I mean, I should have like a mirror, something like that, like mirror it. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, I fucking struggle with it. Like, I, I've been right before. Uh, it was a long time ago, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm actually really impressed with the Goofy Footers and their performances because to me, I just can't understand how they do it. Oh, actually, these aren't Goofy Footers. These are just Natural Footers Surfing Switch today. Oh, Natural Footers Surfing Switch. Yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've done that before. Uh, so switch, uh, the, the last couple of times I've gone right, I've actually gone switch. Um, I have uh, a thing called um, Posby. Have you ever heard of Posby? It's a uh, phobia of stuff behind you. It's um, something that I got as a young child uh, when I went to the zoo and a bear actually grabbed onto my backpack because I wasn't looking behind myself when I was near the cage. And then ever since that day, uh, I've really struggled with things being like behind me or behind my shoulder. So going backside, I've really struggled with that. World's greatest surf coach, Luke Sederman. Thanks for your time. Yeah, no worries. Definitely my my, my most uh, unique guest of the week, two-time MotoGP world champ, Casey Stoner. Casey, how are you? Not too bad. How are you doing yourself? Yeah, really good, thanks. We just watched the women's final go down. You can be honest on this channel. What would you think of it? I thought it was fantastic. I mean, the conditions they're running with and... The girls struggle to get that same speed that the guys do, so this has been really tough for them to get ahead of the break and, and, and get some clear waves. So they did all they could, really. I mean, um, I thought it up and riding now. What do you think of this one? Oh, it depends. But, oh. 
I mean, he's been riding fantastic all day, all week, but in particular today. And to be honest, I thought the women's final was going to swing the other way. I didn't think that last wave was worth quite what it was, but um, anyway, you know, judges are there doing the job. We're, uh, we're seeing a cracking ride down go here for the local boy, Sheldon. Uh, you've been hanging with Darren Hanley all afternoon. Uh, you're, you live on the Gold Coast, so mate, it's pretty clear cut. You're obviously going for Sheldon. I mean, uh, you know, you can't really go wrong with either of them. It's just awesome to be out here to watch them uh, put on this kind of display. So I couldn't really say one or the other. Really appreciate your time, mate. We'll let you tuck into it. No problem. Cheers, mate. Installment of Stace on the stairs is our best uh, installment yet. Darren Hanley, Sheldon Simkis is about to paddle out for this final. How are you feeling, brother? Well, local boy, I've seen Nick do it, I've seen Joel do it, and I reckon it's time for Sheldon to stand up and take the crown because he's the new young kid coming up. How's the emotion stemming through the veins? At the moment, I'm pretty calm, but I know when he paddles out and he gets that first wave, and you'll hear the crowd go, if he wins, we'll be all crying. If he loses, we'll be crying. <laughs> no matter what, we'll have a few tins tonight and celebrate because it was a great effort. And an awesome event here, obviously. We got to showcase to the world you know, how good Snapper really is over five days. It's pretty stormy and pretty wild now, but those first three days were a dream. Oh, but even like this, like, yeah, we're looking at Snapper right now and it, you know, it's hard to get out there and hard to get waves, but just go down to Greenmount right now. There's hardly anyone out. Everyone sees when it's crowded, but we still get great barrels down there. So come to the Gold Coast, come and enjoy it, and just don't get in our road. Love you, DH. Best of luck. Uh, thanks, mate. All right. Thank you, Stacy. That was beautiful. I, I want to sit on the staircase with you someday. That was just so fun. Um, but in the meantime, I know that we have another big event coming up next week, uh, and I'm sure there's going to be plenty more news to cover. So stay tuned for another episode of The Drop and probably The Cusp next week, plus maybe an interview with Dane Reynolds. That's uh, There's something in the works. I know Dane's got a new film coming out. I think we might get him on the pod as well. So keep your ears open, um, keep your fingers scrolling, and make sure you stop on Stab Podcasts every single time. It's been a great week, and that's it. Over and out.